over the next few weeks, we're focused on this thought, this conviction, this reminder that I love my church. And, and over the last couple weeks, even in preparing for this, uh, even the thought uh, for some, uh, for some of you it comes with an obvious affirmation, of course I love my church. Uh, of course I love uh, this church family, of course I love this bride that Christ died for, of course. For some, uh, are walking in with uh, experiences or situations or things uh, that have caused you to question some stuff about church. And so to even have the sentiment that I love my church, you're still trying to figure out what you think about it, let alone love it. And as we go through here, what we're asking is this, is would you let scripture be the guide, not your past? Would you let the goodness of God uh, and what his word for the church is be the guiding light, not what you've been through or what you've perceived. Uh, as we update some internal systems and make some major improvements, we're using internet uh, and technology in ways to be more helpful for the way we sign up, the way we uh, do registrations, communication, shepherding, giving, disciple making. Uh, a lot of it is to do a lot less work down the road, so we're doing a little bit of work now. And in the process of that, what we're asking us to do is not just sign up for a database, but connect and belong to a church, is not just to switch your giving over, but to rethink what this thing is called the local church that we're partnering with together and that we're doing ministry with in our communities. And as we do that, we've talked about a couple different things, looking at what is the church and why do we love it. Last week, we talked about my church as a church family, this language that gets used throughout Scripture of brothers and sisters, uh, that we pray to our Father, that we are adopted into this household or this family of God. This week, I want us to look at this, is that we love our holy church. Holy. Uh, it's a word that's got some kind of connotation. Not all of it is biblical. Uh, the church has gone through, in the last 2,000 somewhat years, has gone through a lot of unspeakable persecution. There's been a lot of harm done to those who are Christ followers. Also, there's also been much harm done under the name of the church. Uh, the global history has got uh, different parts of the world and even places where we live. There's been things done to people under the banner of church that's done harm. For us, what my prayer is, is that we would not let the sins of people keep us from the perfection of God, or deter you from being his people together, is because of what he said, that dictates who we are and how we function, not what other people do. We're on the same page. We usually think of a spectrum when we think of the word holiness, or at least I do, so whether or not you do, I'm just going to walk you through my brain. So buckle up and here we go. Right? No, usually I think of holiness uh, as we um, uh, uh, apply it in this spectrum of, uh, you know, on one far extreme there's worldliness, right, where you're basically just like everybody else. On the other end is what we will politely call legalism, where everything is so uh, specific and nailed down and unmovable uh, that, uh, that, that, that it is so far on that extreme. Often what we call holiness is what Larry Osborne calls being an accidental Pharisee. Some of us have become living the right way so 
hard that we lose sight of the Jesus in whom we live and move and have our being. Does that make sense to you? That sometimes we pursue right living instead of pursuing the one who lived right. In Matthew 23, Jesus warns us with seven woes. All of them to these Pharisees that have a legalistic life that has their hearts far removed from their actions. Over and over in Matthew 23, he's reminding the church that it's not about all of that, it's about him. And in fact, in leading in those kind of legalistic ways, there's a calling, a a reminder, maybe even a forecasting of what that does to the people to whom are reached through that. And on the other end of the spectrum, we'll call it the worldly end, we can, uh, and we'll use this word, uh, we can enjoy our grace so much that we end up living like the rest of the world around us. In some ways assuming, like, well, Jesus covered it, so we should be fine, you know, what's another Friday night, that kind of thing. With all the polarizing on so many issues in 2020, We've ended up having an us versus them mentality on so many things, right? Uh, the idea of nuanced in the middle area is gone. Even though it's not, in our brains, we won't let ourselves get there. But the life of Jesus wasn't a Jesus versus them gospel. It was a Jesus for them gospel. That is set apart and cut off from the rest. The world around Jesus crucified him because of their us versus them or him thinking and even then jesus calls us into an us for them type of living get what i'm saying it's for those of us that have an us versus them mentality we're on the sides of the people that killed and and, uh, killed and crucified jesus when we live in a way like christ we have an us for them even when they hate us remember that from this summer that we still live for them And the gospel changes the stuff in us so that we become for the people that live around us. We don't need to be weird, but we do need to live different. Just want to make sure in our glossary, holiness doesn't equal weird. Some of you have a name that just popped into mind. Give that to Jesus, all right? In the same way, we don't need to act better than them, but we do need to live better with him. So it's not about us on a platform and the rest of the lost, uh, broken, sinful world who's damned to hell and here we are living in holiness and I hope they get their act together. That's not how Jesus approached the world. And so there's some correction in us that might need to happen. Holiness doesn't separate us from people. What it does separate us from is the patterns of the world. It, It separates us from conformity. But it doesn't separate us from mission. Holy living is just as much about the passion, or sorry, the compassion of loving our neighbor as it is the conviction and allegiance to Jesus and his teaching. We can do both. And in fact, holiness implies that both are happening. That I'm living right, but I'm also giving him away. That I'm not removing myself from people. In fact, I'm pressing into people because in whom I live. We are kingdom of God people. And the writers of, or Peter and the writers of Hebrew remind us that we are aliens and strangers, foreigners in this world. We don't belong here. 
The hard part for us, and probably the thing that, that nips at our witness more than anything, is when we look more like the world than we do Christ, but we carry the name of Christ with us as we proclaim that we're the separated church. So we shouldn't be confused or shouldn't be surprised when the world around us is confused. What we see in Scripture is this reminder kingdoms are those under the rule and reign of a king, and we have a king or a Christ. His name is Jesus. Jesus is on the throne. We are his people. We live by his words and we live by his ways. While the world government leaders, cultural leaders in the world continue to influence people of this world, we live different. God breathes a word in scripture that gives clarity to who we are and how we live and that word is holy. Not worldly, not legalistic, but a third way, holy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17, Paul reminds the church in Corinth and even us today, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. Here's the start. In Christ, that old life is gone and you've been resurrected into this new way of living. When you received Jesus, you were sanctified and holy. You were then set apart from the old creation and the old self. We as a church family have a new identity, a new citizenship, a new belonging. We don't belong here. We belong with him. 1 Peter 2.9. Peter reminds us, you are a chosen people. Remember, that's plural. Church family. You are a royal priesthood. You are a, go ahead and say it out loud. You are a holy possession. Or sorry, holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This place we stand and this place we live in holiness is because of what Christ has done for us, in us, and through us. We are holy. We are set apart. We are sanctified. That's not something you strive to. It is who you are because of who Jesus is and how you've received him into your life. Paul explains how we live in this new way of living without living like we're still in the old way of living. How do we live like that new creation is true instead of dragging this old creation around with us? It's almost like we buried the old life and we walk around with a shovel so we can go back and dig that thing up often and sit at the grave and mourn it instead of go living out the reality that we're not there anymore. Galatians 5 says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. There's your key. The Spirit of God is in you. The one that resurrected Jesus from the dead is alive and well in you and in us, right? Not just you singular, but you guys plural. He's here. He's with us. So we walk by that Spirit. Wherever the Spirit of God goes, we go. Wherever the Spirit stops, we stop. If the Spirit takes a right, we better be taking a right. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh because the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. You get that flesh like the humanness in you, that carnal reality of just you getting what you want out of your preferences and your desires, that if we live by that, it's contrary, it's against the spirit. But in the same way, the spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. 
What God's doing and what we in our natural self want to do are not the same. I love even when we hear, well, you know, like in my heart, I believe this. Well, Scripture also reminds us the heart is deceitful above all else. Well, I feel like this. Well, are you going to go with your feelings? You're going to go with Jesus, right? And so we're reminded in Scripture that we're not walking by what we can figure out. Instead, we lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways we acknowledge him and he makes our path straight. He says they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. That's in the Bible. How many of you have that written on your mirror when you wake up in the morning? Hey, Don, you're not supposed to be doing what you want. Right? Hey, Don, this money is not yours to spend however you want. Hey, Don, this time in today is not yours to do whatever you want. Uh, That we live this life on loan, it's not mine, it's his. I've already yielded to God. I've I've already received Christ. The Spirit's here. I'm his. Because he's already said he's mine. And when we walk in that way, listen, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We have this powerful reminder. Here's the evaluation. What is leading you? The Holy Spirit or whatever you want? Is it your preferences and desires or is it the will of God? He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Right? A reminder is, hey, listen, you don't have to wonder which one's leading you? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I, want, I warn you, as I did before, that those who practice, it's an important word, that those who live in a pattern of such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of the stuff in that list, we like to ring the bell and say, yeah, that's not what we want to be. But some of those, we get into areas like selfish ambition or jealousy, right? And all of a sudden, it's like, well, I mean, that's probably like level three stuff. Like level one feels like witchcraft, right? The hard part is what we're reminded in this section of Scripture, what Paul's making blatantly clear is it's not just the obvious stuff on the outside, it's the obvious stuff on the inside, and some of that no one knows but you. Or everyone else around you knows it's true of you except for you. This is a list of what comes out of a life that's all about you being in charge or me being in charge. But he doesn't end there. He reminds us, here's what a life in the Spirit looks like. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires you get it you either get what you want and that's how you live or you crucify your preferences and your desires right now, i've been around church world long enough and i've been there i've been here i've gotten the emails not from any of you yet so we're all in good standing right (laughs) but how much of our critique of the church is about our preferences and our desires 
I want it this way. How come it's not this way for me? Why don't I get this? How come no one asked me? Why don't I? And we lead in this kind of way and say, Christ, Jesus, the community, the family, the fellowship, whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's noble, that's what we're thinking about. And so we're wondering, are we led by our flesh as we come together as a church, or are we led by the Spirit? Now, that doesn't mean that critique is uh, out of the question, right? It just means what we're critiquing and to whom we're critiquing and how we're approaching that needs to be in holiness. We want to live the kind of life that can only be explained by power, guidance, and activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To the point where at our funerals, that whoever gets up and speaks, the only conclusion they can come to with the way you've lived your life is that the Holy Spirit was so evident and filled in you that that's the only explanation for the life that you lived. People without an understanding of God don't need people who act just like them. What they need is faith community of people who are set apart like Jesus. And you need that. I need that. We need a set-apart, holy church family, and you need to be set-apart, holy member of that church family. Here's some key reasons. Again, this isn't all-inclusive, but these are some good starters. Number one, we need a holy church to keep us pure through the Word. I know you think you got this on your own, but Jesus seems to think you don't. And so we need each other. Have you ever read through a a section in the Bible and you're convinced that you know what it means? And then you sit in a group of people who are talking about that same verse and all of a sudden you're like, I didn't get that. I didn't see that. That was good. I didn't even think about that. Like, whoa, how'd you come up with that? Like, where'd you go to school, right? All these, all of a sudden you're like, I thought I had this nailed down. And then all of a sudden I realize maybe I shouldn't be reading this on my own. Maybe when Paul sent these letters and the church opened and read them collectively together, it was because we're not supposed to read them just on our own. We become like everyone else when the Word of God is far from us, when it's absent in our conversations and not lived towards in our lives together. Paul directs husbands to love their wives to the example of how Jesus loves the church. Now, I always love this one because I get, not every time, often, when I do a wedding, uh, the groom will kind of walk up and pretend like he's slipping me some cash saying, could you just throw in that, like, submit to your husband's verse? You know, that'd be, that'd be nice. What I'd love to say is, I will certainly take your money and do that, right? However, you got to let me read all of it, though. Because the husband that the wife is supposed to submit to is one who gives his life for his bride in the way that Christ loves his church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Usually, what that groom is asking for is that the wife would just uh, blindly submit herself to whatever train wreck of a human that they are. Give them whatever they want and hope it all works out. But the direction we have in Scripture is the kind of husband that they're submitting to is one who's given everything for the wife. It gives Christ an example and then explains what Jesus is like for us, his church. Read it with me. That he might sanctify her, make her holy, 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. How are we that way as the church to Christ, who's the groom? It's when the word has been over us and we become pure and blameless and spotless so that we get to stand in holiness. It says, husbands, give yourself up and wash your bride with the word. It doesn't say beat her down with it. it. doesn't say guilt trip her into it. But to purify, to wash over, to lead in the kind of selfless, humble way that you'd be foolish not to submit to someone who's giving themselves to you like that. The constant, regular soaking of the word takes the filth and brokenness so the church family might be holy. 1 Timothy chapter 3.15, Paul says, I write so that you will know how one should act in the household of God. We read this verse last week, which is the church of the living God who is the pillar and the support of truth. We as God's family look to the Father of whom we belong and we look and say our God is the pillar and the support of truth. Paul reminds young Timothy as we're being reminded today in God's family, his church, he is the pillar in the support of truth. We belong to him and he single-handedly holds up truth. So we might feel this way or perceive this way. And when cultural trends come and go and bend us to think, well, maybe the timeless word of God should be changed this year. We're reminded that the family we belong to is being upheld by the pillar and the support of truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. You get it? When the, when the word is opened in our faith community, and not just in this room once a week from this pulpit, it's in small groups, it's at uh, uh, kitchen tables, it's when it's happening with families before they go to bed, it's when you call someone and say, hey, I need to meet up, I need someone to talk to, and we start, the word starts doing its work in us as church family. When God's word is shared, we will be taught, we will be rebuked, we will be corrected, we will be trained in right living. So we can be fully capable and fully equipped for every opportunity that God has before us. Here's the reality. You need to be a part of a holy church because we need people graciously and lovingly using God's word to clean us up. I don't know how you view yourself. I still got some stuff that, that there's some stains in the carpet that need to come out in my life. And if nobody says anything, I'm pretty comfortable not dealing with it. And just so you know, that's true of you too. It's when there's a loving relationship with a church family and people out of love and grace have the ability to call you out on your stuff without you getting upset that someone's meddling in your life. It's when they get to speak into you and pull stuff out of you so they can place it in the word and show us what God has to say about it so that we become people 
who are fully equipped and ready to go for everything God's called us to, almost thinking if we don't do this, we will live completely unequipped and not prepared for the stuff God's called us to do. And then we wonder why the people around us don't know the Lord. Like air masks on an airplane, each of us needs to let the Word of God clean our own lives so that we can help others. You know what I'm talking about? Put the mask on yourself before you help the person next to you. If I'm sitting next to my six-year-old son, I'm going to help him first. But guess what? If I'm dead, I can't help him. You get the image? It's allowing God to do his work in me so that I can be used by him to do good works in us. The second thing is this. We need a holy church so that we have an example of holiness. So that we can see God's people and look up to what that looks like. Choose your spiritual heroes carefully. Watch who you put on a pedestal. I would even say, don't put people on a pedestal. But when Paul speaks and says, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate him, the question for us becomes, are we looking for those humble, slave-like people like Paul, who's just living fully surrendered to the Lord, are we looking for book sales, congregation sizes, moody radio, uh, you know, sermons? Are we looking for people who are high and lifted up? Or are we looking for people who are down on their knees before a Lord who's already been high and lifted up? Because it's those people whose lives we want to be like. So that we become the kinds of people when someone looks at our life and says, man, I, I just wish I was a, a dad like, like that guy. I wish I was a husband like that person. I, I, wish, I wish I carried my joy into work like this person. Why? Not because they're high and lifted up, because they're so busy giving everything to serve the Lord that what I see in their life is holiness. Don't forget, we are who Jesus chose to be his ambassadors so others could see him through us. Paul says to the church in Corinth in his first letter, chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's charge is to be living in such a way that you can invite people to live like you with confidence that you're living like Jesus. There's a good self-evaluation for the morning. Are you currently in a place where you could say, man, I, I don't know how else to tell you. All I know is I'm striving so deeply, wholeheartedly, and sold out to be whatever Christ is molding my life to be. That if it's any help, you can follow me as I'm following him, because I at least know where I'm going. I almost have to schedule office hours for that kind of life. If you catch me on Tuesdays from two to four, I'm this way, right? But Tuesday mornings, I wouldn't follow me because I don't know where I'm at, right? To live that kind of life, It's not just to obey Paul and follow him as he follows. It's to become like Paul in our pursuit of Christ so that we can invite others to follow us as we follow him. We have to be an example of holiness in living a life like Christ before we can call others in our church family to imitate us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Did you catch it? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness 
the way of right living, the set-apartness, the distinction between you and the world around you so that people can see the Lord. I don't know about you. I can come up with a pretty quick, long list of people who I say, that person helped me become more like the Lord. I saw Christ in them. Uh, There's people who God has allowed me to be around, serve around, serve with, that have allowed me to say, man, that's, I see Christ there. I see what a life set on fire for the Lord looks like. I see what humble obedience looks like. I see what suffering well looks like. I can see Jesus because I've seen him in the church and it's led me in some kind of glimpse to catch who he is. Our peace with others and holiness is a window through which others can see Jesus through us. But just for the sake of a fun exercise on a Sunday, let's flip the script. A life of bitterness, complaining, conflict, and conformity closes the door on people seeing the Lord through your life. 2 Peter chapter 3.11 says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, right? If you were to read everything ahead of time, it's the fact that, hey, this world is going to come to some conclusion, all right? And he says, since these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? Since the Lord is going to return. Remember, every time we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a reminder for us that he is coming. And if this is going to go down in the way that Scripture tells us it's going to go down, how ought you live in holy conduct and in godliness, looking for and speeding the coming of the day of God? Skip to verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The inner conflict and turmoil that's in our souls is most likely because because of a discipleship issue. There's worries we carry that we need to lay before the cross. There's guilt and shame that entraps us that Jesus has already died for, forgiven, and sent away. Do you get it? To live at peace, knowing that everything's been paid for, And my hope is coming. Uh, Stephen Covey, in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of those is to begin with the end in mind. If you know how it's going to end, you should start in light of that so that you move towards where you're going to end up. That's really good, but Paul said it better. If you know that this is how the whole world's going to go down and you know that this is when Jesus comes, he'll judge the quick, the living, right? When you know that that's the truth, How ought we live in holiness? How should your marriage look like? What kind of spouse should you be? How should your singleness look like? And how should that be working out? What does it look like when you go to work? How does it look as you're parenting in your family? What does it look like in your neighborhood? And that may feel like a lot. And I think Paul's reminding us it's a lot because it's an all-consuming fire. What kind of church do you want Moraine Valley to be? Then that's the kind of people we need to become. 
Because it's hard to have a holy church without holy people. And I think we're doing well. But the point is, are we moving towards that or are we comfortable with where we've landed? We can't be a holy church if we're not holy people. Be diligent to be found by him, purified, holy, and at peace. Give your attention to this. We celebrate different. We mourn different. We give thanks differently. We live life with our possessions differently. We suffer differently. Why? Because we're holy. We're set apart. We are different. Because the God to whom we serve and that saved us is different. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and of the spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Not just, you know, well, I stopped cussing so much and I don't do all the dumb stuff I used to, so I'm probably okay. Right? But to live a life fully surrendered so that as we are holy, as we bring our holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord, we start to see what that looks like in the ministry of what God does through us. C.S. Lewis and mere Christianity causes us to ask and, and examine the life of Jesus in three different ways. You need to decide if Jesus is a liar, either he is the Son of God who came to seek and save, redeem the lost, and bring the world back to himself, or he's not. So he might be a liar, the other one's a lunatic. This guy might just be crazy. There's some guy on Michigan Avenue with a bullhorn this morning telling everyone he's Jesus. So either this Jesus is a liar, a lunatic, the third option you've got to decide, or he's Lord. Meaning he's the king to whom we live under. He's the savior to whom we belong. He is the king over the kingdom to which I've been saved into. My life is secure because of him. There's not an option where you get to come up with some hybrid model of Jesus. You receive him as he fully is or you don't. If you receive him as he fully is, you've got to give yourself completely to who he is and what he's called us to. If he is Lord, then let us clean ourselves up inside out and bring our holiness to completion in our reverent fear of the holy God. And church, you can't do it on your own. There's an act of confession in Scripture. My guess is we like to skirt around that one pretty fast. But it's embedded in the New Testament teaching almost as though it is a consistent, regular, and expected practice. That I would be so comfortable with Jesus saving every part of my life that there's no shame in letting you know, here's some stuff I'm dealing with. But Satan's got us snagged up. Because some of that shame and guilt can pop up and keep us from opening up. It stops the church from coming in and helping us come into this holiness. You need to be a part of a church that are all examples of people becoming more like Jesus in holiness. You also need to purify your own life so you can be an example to someone around you. This last one is this. We need a holy church to keep bringing each other back to truth and fellowship. Uh, we all know people who have drifted far from God. Some of us have testimonies of seasons of our lives where we drifted far from God. Some of you, this may be your first Sunday back from that drift. Welcome. But we need each other to keep bringing each other back to each other. 
to not let people just dissipate and kind of go off in their own corners. Uh, and, and man, we can come up with some pretty biblical-sounding reasons for it, right? Well, I'm just not getting fed. It's like, well, you've been following the Lord for 30 years. You should probably learn how to make a PB&J spiritually, right? You, you could probably do some feeding, I think, we're right? Well, you know, that, that one small group leader, they, you know, I don't know because of what they, it's like, man, listen, right? Come up with all the excuses we want to, but again, we need each other to go find each other and bring each other back to each other so we don't isolate and try to do what Satan's been tricking us to do since the beginning, is to just do it on our own. A large part of my testimony is that I wouldn't have made it without the people in the church. I had people literally that punched me because I needed it. It's two weeks after I got saved. It's a whole story. We'll get there some point, right? I've had people who have encouraged me, inspired me. I've had people that have turned me around. I've had people that have corrected, rebuked, taught, that, that have trained me up. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. And we need to call each other. It takes each other to bring each other back to the calling we've got. I know this and I feel the weight of the truth, but Paul's words are so often true for us as well, right? Romans chapter 7, 15, here's the struggle. For I don't understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Sounds like my own struggle in holiness. I'm glad Paul's with me, or at least I'm with him. There's a struggle, there's a tension, there is a real battle going on. We need each other to bring each other back to each other. We're called in holiness, but what I want to do is impure. Here's the big lesson, you can't walk this journey alone and, and neither can I. But we need a holy church. We need each other with each other for each other. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you might be tempted in the same thing that snagged them up. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. James chapter 5, 19, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, you get it? Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from a death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's a heavy passage of scripture. But what's the charge? Be in the ministry of reconciliation. Be the people who bring others back to who we are. Jesus left heaven to bring us back to himself. We can leave our comfort zones to help others who are wandering away. You need people who will bring you back on track, and most of us need to step up and be the ones looking for the ones who are wandering away from the truth and bringing them back to him. Uh, this week, uh, I had a coffee with... Andrew Beerline, one of my really good friends for a long time. And as we were talking about this, I said, hey man, I'm preaching on holiness. He said, oh man, that's crazy. And he reminded me of last week when we finished with the prodigal son. He's, he said, don't forget the second brother. Oftentimes we call this the parable of the prodigal son. I love in church history, there's moments where they call it the parable of the two brothers. 
And it's a reminder that it's not just the story of the prodigal son who took his father's belongings, went and wasted on wild living, came to his senses, brought himself back, and before he could reach, the father runs out. That's a beautiful picture. But don't forget, we also, the longer we're walking with Christ, become more like the older brother than we, or the other brother than we do the one that ran away. He's out working because he's doing the right thing, living the right way. He didn't run away. He didn't go anywhere. And all of a sudden, there's music, there's a party, right? You smell that, like, brisket on the grill because of the fattened calf. Thank you, Jesus, right? And in all of this, that other brother comes running, and he's trying to figure out what's going on, and he finds out that it's because his brother who ran away came back. Here's his response. Luke chapter 15, 28, it says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him, but he answered his father, look. Have you ever talked to God like that? Look, God, because he's the one that can't see, right? Look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with all my friends. That sounds like a petty junior high, like 2,000-year-ago statement, Right? Dad, you never gave me the fattened calf, right? You, you catch the whiny tone. You, you, you catch the lack of maturity, even though he's doing everything right. His life looks cleaned up, but his soul's far from God. He says, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, he goes there. You killed the fattened calf for him, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. Get it? The difference is he says, you are with me. You are with me. You've always been with me. You've never left me. You've always been right here. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother who was dead and is alive, who was lost and is found. Listen, holiness is not about how long you've served, how legalistic you've been, how much you've done for God. Holiness has always been about being with God, walking with God, and abiding in Him. This other son reveals a darkness in our own lives. We can live a cleaned up life all while maintaining a defiled and hardened heart. What drives us isn't striving for holy living. That's what ends us up like a Pharisee. What drives us is a deeper walk in Christ is just to be like him and to be with him and to become more like him and to live life more the way he does, that we would imitate the life of Jesus. I think Paul gets it to the heart of it when he writes to the church or the family in Philippi. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Do you consider everything a loss? Or do you still like all your gains? I've considered everything a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost everything. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is only through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, I want to know 
Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, but listen, it's not just that. But to participate with him even in the sufferings. I don't want to just know the, the, the Easter Sunday celebration stuff. I want to walk through that Good Friday stuff. I don't want to miss any part of Jesus. I want to be there for all of it. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. You get it? The point is we're not there yet. But he says I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. If Jesus is going to leave heaven to come down for someone like me, I'm going to leave whatever I'm holding on to to charge after someone like him. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Some of us need to forget a little bit more about what's behind. And straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You get Paul's heart? It's not about being better than somebody else. It's not a cultural us versus them thing. He's like, holiness for me is being with my Savior, becoming like my Savior. I want to know him and understand him so deeply that it forms and shapes me who I am. And listen, we're in a series called I Love My Church because we're in a room full of people who are trying to do it too. On our own, we're not going to get there. Together, together, with each other, we've got a hope. The motive is in wanting a deeper intimacy with Jesus. One of the reasons we love our church is that we are a local spiritual family who are all working to forget what is behind and strain towards what's ahead in King Jesus. He set himself apart for us, so we set ourselves apart for him. Listen, some of us in the room are, are walking in ways, if you were to take this evaluation and say, I feel more conformed to the pattern of the world than I do transform in the renewing of the way I'm thinking so that I can know what God's will is and pursue it. I love the way Peter says it. He says, but set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. It starts with this. If Jesus isn't holy in your life, you won't live separate from the world that you live around. In our own lives, Jesus has to be unique, different. He can't he has to be Lord. He has to be king. You can't sit in the throne of your life. You need to abdicate the throne. So Jesus can sit there. He will do it better than you can. He can lead better than you can. He can rule better than you can. You need Jesus there. We need to set him apart in our own hearts. Some of us need to get back to that, right? Maybe like the prodigal son, we don't feel like we ran away from home, but we may feel like we scurried back on the throne. Like, hey, Jesus, let me just have Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'll give you Sundays. Like, we'll do joint custody on the throne thing. What he's calling us to and reminding us of is we've got to set apart in our hearts. Jesus has to be holy. He's got to be set apart. He has to be distinct. Some of you need to get back and set him apart that way in your own lives. Some of you, for the first time today, need to set apart Jesus as holy. And we want to invite you. As we sing this, there's going to be elders at the end of service. Elders and deacons are going to be down here that want to pray. And we want to be able to pray over you. We want to be able to ask God to heal parts. We, we, there, there's nothing 
that fits this more than us not knowing what actually needs to be prayed, but to have someone from the church family, the holy church family, that can put hands on our shoulders and pray over us words that we can't come up with. Why? Because we can't do this on our own. As we sing this last song, would you stand with me? And would this be a final surrender on our way out the door to make sure that we don't leave out those doors the same way we came in? Lord Jesus, would you remind us the uniqueness of these people? God, would you remind us that there's so many social clubs, there's so many groups of people, there's uh, fans of different sports to whom we enjoy, there are uh, uh, political parties to which we lean towards, there are all kinds of people groups that we would identify with, but Father, would we, would we move past all of that and be reminded that the family we were saved into that we are a holy people. This is different. This is set apart. This is unique. This is sanctified. That who we're becoming will only move that way because of the people who are becoming like you with us. So Father, would you, would you press our hearts in to open up, to yield, to surrender, to be able to say, I don't want what I want in my flesh. I want what you want by your spirit. Father, would you lead us in Jesus' name? Amen.